Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Today I'm talking to Peter Sitara, the film director over at the Japan Society, who also built and ran Anime NYC until just about a month ago. Now with this new role, he is tasked with bringing Japan and New York City closer together with a year-round film program. Here is my interview with Peter Tatara. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sunday edition of Lunchbox Radio. If I sound a little off right now, it's because I have a very special guest. This is going this episode is going to be an interview with Peter. How do I pronounce your last name, Peter? I've only ever read it. Uh, no, yeah, uh, Tatara, T-A-T-A-R-A, Tatara. And Peter Tatara is the film director over at the Japan Society. So let's just dive right in. What? Is the Japan Society. So Japan Society is a hundred-year-old arts and culture organization here in New York City. We were founded in 1907, and over more than a century, we've done lectures, gallery shows, language lessons. We have one of the largest uh, language schools in the U.S. We have a research library. We do performing arts, and I'm fortunate enough to captain the film program there. What is, if you had to say, what is Japan Society's main goal? Absolutely, yeah. So to keep it pretty distinct or or succinct, our goal really is just to bring New York and Japan closer together. Um, So we do that through through all the different ways we just talked about. um, And looking at film, we've been trying to bring New York and Japan closer together through film since the 1970s. Um, we've had everyone from Kurosawa and Mifune to Oshima and Obayashi at at our venue. Um, we are returning our, our film festival called Japan Cuts this year. It is the largest Japanese film festival in North America. It took a little pause during COVID, um, but we're bringing it back this summer. Um, so that'll be a, a massive event. Um, so all cool, new, different, exciting things. Uh, So whether it is art, music, performance, language, research, or film, just different ways to bring New York and Japan closer together. Well, I I will certainly probably be attending at least part of that since I am a member, which I guess in the interest of disclaimers, I should have said before I'm a member. I'm also apparently hilariously a huge fan of your bathrooms because I had never gone to the bathroom in Japan society, so I did not know you had Japanese toilets. I was stunned. We we do have Japanese toilets. It's not a perk we promote on the website, but uh, probably the best toilets in Midtown Manhattan. That, that, that's probably a claim you can easily make. Oh yeah, we got the heated seats and everything. What did you do before? What did you do before you took the position here? And what made you take the position here? So I'm still a baby. I have been at Japan Society for probably a little bit more than a month. I joined in, in January. Prior to, to coming on board as the director of film here, I was actually the founder and the event director of something called Anime NYC. Uh, Anime NYC is the second largest Japanese pop culture convention in the U.S., and I grew that from uh, its very, very start through to this past year when I was welcoming over 50,000 unique attendees, world premieres, and major guests from Japan. Um, I attended so on on doing... Saturday for that, and I stayed in, I can only tell you, 
probably the worst hotel I've ever stayed in in my life. <laughs> it was yeah, like a stone throw away from the Javits Center. I don't even want to say the name because they don't need any more help. Everybody was very nice at the hotel. Oh, yeah, no, that's part of the the, the fun experience of doing stuff in New York. You've got amazing hotels, and then you've also got uh, less than amazing properties in the city. Um, but but yeah, so I I ran Anime NYC from its founding through to last year. Um, it was my supreme honor to to build that event. I still speak with the team regularly. I want only the the best of success for it in the future. Um, but I made the decision to to move over to Japan Society when they had approached me about the concept of running their film team and the concept of relaunching Japan Cuts. Japan Society is an organization I've loved and appreciated for, for 20 years, as long as I've been in New York. And I've attended their Japan Cuts Festival every year as well. And to have the the opportunity to put my fingerprints on an organization like this was deeply exciting. I think the, the core of why I started Anime NYC was personally to, to find a way to bring New York and Japan closer together. And heck, that, that's what Japan society does year round. So I'm excited to no longer just do programming, do things, do events for three days out of the year. But here at Japan Society, ideally, you know, following that mission all year round with different events for for nerds and not nerds alike. Yeah, I got to say, I I was genuinely stunned at the sheer amount of movies you guys show every week, every single well, day. There's usually something. Week. But but no, I think around the time when I was looking, I was just surprised. I'm like, this another one of these on Tuesday. That's a lot of t- me on the train from New Jersey. I can't I can't live that life. We we, um, we ha- so we don't present things every day. Um, we do present between fifty and seventy five films a year. Um, it's a mixture of regular repertory monthly screenings. We do a, a monthly classic every month, monthly anime every month. Um, and then we do various different film series throughout the year. That's when we we do get more busy. Um, so we just finished up a centennial um, film series for Seiju and Suzuki. And coming up in April, we have our official uh, spring series launching. Um, I don't think it's publicly live yet, but in the next week, all that will come out. Um, so yeah, those will be some pretty packed uh, days and weeks when those things go out. So what does your day-to-day look like? What is the process of finding about a film and then getting that film screened at the Japan Society? Because you guys have a very nice screening room, by the way. We do, yeah. So if you've not been, Japan Society is at 333 East 47th Street. We are one block from the United Nations. We are in a gorgeous landmark building that opened in 1971. It's it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. Um, it, it is amazing to to go to work in this space every day. Um, the the stage that um, we present films on is also used for performing arts. It's used for lectures. It's used for other things. And legitimately, presidents and prime ministers have stood on that stage. So 
whenever we present something on there, it, it just carries so much meaning. Um, and deeply, again, deeply excited to add my fingerprints to the previous generations that are programming for it. Um, but actually answering your question, what I do every day, uh, again, I've been here for a month, so it's still a lot of learning, a lot of figuring stuff yeah, out. Yeah, when I first um, met you, you still hadn't had business cards yet. I got Oh, yeah, I got those now. I got cards. those now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we got those. Um, but, like, so it it is, like, a lot of... I think there are two parts of the job. There is the curatorial aspect, and there is also just the the job job aspect, which is spreadsheets, budgets, PowerPoints, stuff like that, the, the mechanics of making making something go forward. So that's not much different than a lot of other places. On the curatorial side, that is the exciting piece. And that is done by myself, along with our film programmer, Alexander Fee. Alexander is genius um, and, and a very, very deep curatorial eye. Um, so how we go about presenting screenings, I guess, technically, it's got two parts. So the first part is sourcing the distributor of a film. And then the second part is sourcing what we're actually presenting you know, on screen. Um, so with our films, it's either easy or hard to find the distributor. If it's a title that is officially distributed in the US, we talk to whoever that company is in North America um, and work with them to get the right to present it. However, we are a venue that very often presents rare, underappreciated, and just seldom screened Japanese films. And for those, a lot of the times you are working with original rights holders in Japan. Um, so that can be a more lengthy process to get the permission and approval to present their, their titles here in the U.S. Once we've got the approval, the other piece is then what are we actually presenting? And by that, I mean, with a lot of theaters, it's very common just to present everything digitally. However, Japan Society is a venue that still has 35 millimeter projectors. And we try to present films on 35 millimeter actual physical film as much as we can. I think it is a, a dying art and there are fewer and fewer venues that present on 35 but film movies look different on actual film and it is a physical tactile embodiment of of the medium um, and there are certainly audiences that specifically seek out screening specifically for that 35 millimeter experience all that's to say it is sleuthing out where who how can we find physical 35 millimeter prints for a lot of our titles? So a lot of these are in different archives uh, or different libraries at different educational institutions. A lot of times as well, we are importing these prints directly from Japan. So when we're presenting a film in 35 millimeter, we might be the only place in the US this film is shown on 35 this year, or really this decade. Um, so it's a lengthy process and Again, I want to give full credit to Alexander Fee. He is a detective who absolutely loves the chase, the investigation, the uncovering and finding where where to source our prints. Um, but that's something he deeply, deeply loves and brings something special to Japan society. Yeah, I, I get the sense from him that he would like hunting down like, okay, 
I've heard about Ramayana. Now I need to go mm-hmm. find what the production yep. studio is, who who I would even begin to call to find the right person to call to maybe get this thing shipped in a crate to here with a bunch <laughs> of promise notes attached to it. I, yep, yep. I will say Ramayana was on digital, um, but... It was on... It was, it was oh, yeah, I forgot that was a 4K remaster. It was, yep. It was we um, the, the, the second place in the U.S. to screen that. So it was screened in L.A. once, and then we were the New York premiere of that remaster of it. What does something like that say that was... I know that that had its own studio. It was very uniquely produced in that it was produced with a English dub first, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Yes, And correct. has, like you said, never been shown in North America except for twice, one in L.A., one in here. And L.A. makes mm-hmm. total sense. Somebody probably acquired that. That feels like Quentin Tarantino came across that somehow. <laughs> And was like, I gotta get this on a movie theater. I'm going, I'm losing my mind. But what does that, how does something that's that infrequently shown differ from something like a Studio Ghibli movie, which is, while wonderful, they run pretty constantly all over the world? Oh, agreed, agreed. And I think too, like, that's why, like, when we do Ghibli, um, we do make sure we screen on 35 millimeter. Um, so like even in New York, Ghibli is you know, not difficult to find. Metrograph does it all the time. IFC does it all the time. Uh, the Museum of the Moving Image is doing Ponyo right now. So for us to do something that is widely accessible, it is finding something that still makes it unique. Because um, I think we do want to present a balance of film at Japan society. Um, it is both more accessible, popular titles like a Mononoke or a Totoro. But I think that the big thing we also strive to do is present things you're not going to see anywhere else. You know, and, and Ramayana is a great example of that. Um, so how we, we we get a Ghibli film is very easy. It's we call up the the U.S. distributor. We say hey, we would like to do Ghibli on 35 millimeter. We talk through some specifics. We make sure there's not any conflicts. Um, and then we do a Ghibli movie. Um, if it is <laughs> Ramayana or something that is a bit more esoteric in sourcing, it can be a few days, a few weeks, a few months to, to source and get approval um, to present something. So as part of the upcoming big uh, spring film series we're doing at the end of April, there is one title, in fact, that has been at this point a multi-month-long conversation around trying to present. Um, And I do not know (laughs) if we will (laughs) succeed. Um, But There may be a gap in that schedule that gets penciled in every well, single we've got, schedule we, we've got our plan b's like if, if we would love to to do this but any any film is very nuanced in terms of the distributor in terms of where the rights are in terms of where the source of the print is um so again some things like the ghibli titles are beautiful and breathtaking not difficult for us to book but there are other things that are a whole odyssey um 
And again, like Alexander has spent more than a month trying to secure this one specific screening um, and, and fingers and toes crossed that, that it comes together. Now, that's a really, I have a really interesting question here. Is there anything that would exclude a film from being screened at the Japan Society specifically? For example, not the most horrid example I can think of, I promise, although those are out there, but say like a live action adaptation of an anime. Like I remember vividly seeing on a plane the live action adaptation of jo- JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4. No, I don't so think that actually, ever came we... out in the theater here. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we, um, great question. So we do, I, I guess the, the way to answer it is, we are Japan Society. Anything we present needs to have some connection to Japan. Um, and as long as there is a connection to Japan, it's definitely something we can discuss and explore. Um, so we have done various live action anime adaptations. Um, we actually, at one of the Japan cuts, we did the live action Bleach. Um, we brought out the, um, the director to attend the screening as well. Sold out, did an encore screening. Um, I was still at Anime NYC, but I was involved in that and actually interviewed him on stage. Uh, fantastic. And, and, and the audience loved it. So you know, as long as there is a connection to Japan, it's something we can look at. Um, so last year, we even did a preview screening of Bullet Train, which is a major Hollywood film um, based on a Japanese story, a lot of Japanese actors. But you know, a little bit farther away from from the core of what we do. And you know, personally, I would love to present the Wachowski Speed Racer sometime. I I love that movie. <laughs> that I would show up to that. Um, that would be a fun time. I, I feel when that movie came out, it was panned, but oh, over the really decades was. since, people have realized it is brilliant. So you know, it, it's as long as there is some connection to Japan, it, it's something we can look at. Um, but, but yeah, other than that, not much would exclude a screening, uh, from our building. I think we could also talk about subject matter and if it's anything that is too racy or explicit, we'd have to talk about that. I was going to say there's a whole genre of Japanese film for people don't know called pink cinema that probably is in a theater nowhere near anybody ever. Just totally. because of As, you know, with, the racy subject matter, some of them may be of note, but they're not anything that mm-hmm. I would certainly want to have to sign a flyer, get anybody to sign a flyer to show or to be shown in a theater. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's we we have presented titles like that before. I think it's just pr- presenting them within context. Um, or one example that this is animated, but we did uh, the restoration premiere of Belladonna of Sadness, which okay, is yep. an absolutely beautiful animated art film from Japan. Um, not for kids, but you know, it, it was a significant film. So I think you know, as long as as long as we can present it with context, even if it is more extreme in subject matter, it is something we would explore. Um, but again, like. The overall goal is providing balance within what we show and a purpose, a reason for why we're showing it. You kind of answered this before, but when you do, when you do 
a deal to screen a film at Japan Society, who do you typically deal with? Do you you deal with do you deal with the studio directly? Say like a if it's an anime, like an anime the the actual anime studio that's on the release, like say. Yep, great question. So we are based here in America. So if if a title has U.S. representation, um, we do work with the U.S. distributor. Um, so that that's the way this business works. Um, so if there is someone that has the U.S. rights, that is who we, we approach first. Um, if it is a title that does not have U.S. distribution, that is when we would talk to a Saru, we would talk to a Trigger, we would talk to a Toei, a Toho, whoever um, has the has distribution over in Japan and probably still does have the global rights as well. So that that's how we would approach things. But again, it it is title by title based upon just how accessible is it. Are there any films that you hope that you're hoping you can get to be screened that you're not in talks for yet, or that you can talk about that you're in talks for? Yeah, I'll, uh, sure, I'll. Yeah, well, I've already mentioned Speed Racer. Yeah, um, we have not seriously. I really hope you get that, Speed Racer. But, uh, at some point, that will happen. Um, the the other title that I know Alexander and I would both love to present is Macross. Do you remember Love? This is the original. Oh, Macross that would be film. great. Um, I I would love to do that. I think Macross has a let's say complicated history with rights in the U.S. Um, I'm well, the window's amazed. finally open now um, because um, Harmony Gold go Gold just like loosened its grip, and so maybe you can get at stuff now finally. So so yes, within the past few years, um, the the availability of Macross in America has dramatically changed. Um, you've seen Fathom Events do screenings of Macross Plus, I believe of the Macross Frontier films as well. Um, more and more Macross is accessible. And I I am looking forward to presenting any Macross I can. Um, do you remember Love remains in, in limbo? Um, I think it is something everyone would like to show, um, but it remains elusive even with the, the changing... Um, relationships to, to macross in america so i think that is i know that is alexander's holy grail for what he would like to screen um definitely something i, I would love to screen as well um i think you see behind me the, the amount of macross just ephemera on the wall um but but yeah so so speed racer and macross i know you've only been here i know you've only been with japan society for a month or so but are there any films that you've screened that stand out to you We've already talked about Ramayana, which is a one of two yeah, um, opportunities show in America, which is a big deal. And that totally. was so. So I guess the a few things that stand out from recent memory. Um, and the first is Angel's Egg. So this was screened before my time here. This is one of those films that Alexander spent a, a Herculean amount of time and effort to secure. Angel's Egg is a, a absolutely beautiful, breathtaking film from Amara Oshi that has no official distribution in the U.S. Um, and Alexander spent a lot of time to secure this for us to officially present. Um, so 
absolutely thrilled that we were able to present that at Japan Society. Uh, so that that's, I think, a high watermark of, of the kind of just rare gen that we can present. Um, two other things that, that I think just stand out. I, I, I am very happy whenever we do Ghibli. Um, again, like Ghibli is, you can see it anywhere, but to do it in 35 millimeter is still something that is not, not a common occurrence. So we're yeah we're the whisper of the heart present that um, the whisper of the heart screening that we were both just that was absolutely phenomenal. By the way, absolutely. And, and what what's super cool, like you look at whisper of the heart. So that that was sold out. Um, what I love with Ghibli is it does it does bring a sellout crowd. And what what I like about that is the crowd. Like you were there just looking at. The, the number of different people coming together for for a film like that. Um, and it is everyone from anime kids with, with you know my hero academia key change keychains to you know cinephiles, college kids, everyone in between, Japanese expats, moms and dads, like I like the the, the community that comes together for something like that. So always thrilled by presenting Ghibli in 35. Um, another screening that is actually coming up next month. Um, th this is going out on Sunday, you said? Yes, totally. Oh, okay. Cool. We will have announced this by Sunday. Um, we are presenting a back-to-back -back screening of two of Makoto Shinkai's earliest works. Um, Shinkai is the director that's globally beloved for Your Name and Weathering With You. His newest film, Suzume, is coming out in April. And in celebration of Suzume's coming release, we're doing a night of his first two films. So at the end of March, we're presenting The uh, Place Promised in Our Early Days, which is his first feature-length film. And we're coupling that with Voices of a Distant Star, which was his original half-hour short that he had single-handedly written animated all by himself on his home computer so i i'm very excited to present these works that are not seen as much as his more uh more current things i'm very and excited to show up and cry for that uh, entire time because that's what will happen to me i i will say voices of a distant star of everything he's done remains my favorite i think it is such a succinct gut punch um and, and not wrong. Just the 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 ending theme still makes me cry. Um, I think it is beautifully executed. I think it tells just such a fantastically simple story. And, and I love what what I love with with voices so much is how it is both this love story, but also it's all wrapped around this this like bit of science. Um, and, yeah. and just love the use of science in this emotional story as it's a very scientifically accurate science fiction film that uses science in a way that, you know, seldom do you see in science fiction. They just wave away the the immutable fact of time and space that is the constant in Voices of a Distant Star. Um, so yeah, I'll probably give a three-hour introduction to that half-hour movie. Um, but so, <laughs> so we're showing both of those back-to-back -back on March 17th. Um, I and, uh, I remember seeing Voices of a Distant Star by myself 
on a laptop in like the middle of the night and it mm-hmm. was, i would i was so, i was broken by the end of that that yeah. and places promised in our, and that and um in this corner of the world like mm-hmm. wrecked wrecked me and we're both yep. similar scenarios each time and i should have known going into in this corner of the world like i'm starting this right now this feels like when i watched voices of a distant star this is not a good idea. Like, I'm not going to be okay after this. But now, with something like that, where you, where it's a director, anime or otherwise, who's really well known for a really commercially viable film like um, Your Name, or slightly less so with Weathering with You, Weathering with You, but also Weathering with You. What do you hope, say, the common viewer who's familiar with the with something like a weathering with you or your name gets out of seeing something so early from Makoto Chinkai. Cause lots of, lots of people talk about anime on the internet, me included say the reason that your name took off was he finally got the formula, right? <laughs> because yeah, I mean, love him or hate him. He has a definite formula that he does oh, totally in his film. And- and that specific and one, it's like, oh, you gave this one a happy ending, and that lets everybody like recommend that you go watch this movie now mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, uh, well, I think y- y- you nailed it. Like, it's when you when you see our description for our Shinkainite, like that's exactly what we talk about. That while weathering in your name are global phenomenons, he didn't emerge out of nowhere, and you look at his early works both stylistically and narratively he's playing with the same thing that that he does in his latter titles um and i think it's very curious important and just meaningful to to see how he was tackling these subjects in now in in i should know the year i think it's 2002 i don't know off the top of my head either yeah, okay, 2002. Yes. Um, so like it's to, to see the, the difference between how he's approaching these subjects in 2002 versus here we are in 2023 and what, wow, 20 years, what, what 20 years ha- have done to, to mature his voice as a director. Um, it's, it's so interesting too. Like I still picture him from those early works and still remember him as being this fresh emerging voice in the anime scene and the the dude just turned 50 like it's so (laughs) that blows my mind i don't even think i knew how old he was him mama i have no idea how old they are um so but like it's the point is is access to his earlier titles to to show you know where he started from to to give this the 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 credit the accolades it deserves and i think for for fans of, of his more popular works i think it's really informative to, to see this but also in general they're marvelous movies um and they even are. if you've never seen a, a your name or weathering with you it's i think these are beautifully told stories um and well worth well worth the evening and for anybody who's listening to this, who's slightly, who thought it was slightly odd, the slight down note about climate change in Weathering With You, 
that did not come out of nowhere for Shinkai. He ends on down notes all the time. I came out of that movie being like, he couldn't quite get the uplifting ending out of that that I think everybody wanted him to do. But also with Makoto Shinkai, I'm just happy I can still go home and not cry myself to sleep. How how long were you a member of the Japan Society before they like brought you into the fold, so to speak? Um, I'm trying. I have to think when I became a member. I know I have been attending programs here probably for twenty some years. Um, I moved to New York in two thousand and five. Okay, and I think I, I've been attending things here for for almost that long. Uh, I know the first Japan Cuts was 2007. Um, and I know I, I was there. So so yeah, like, pretty much the entirety of my, my time in New York, I've been around this space in some way, shape or form. I know that I, I know but, that anime NYC what is now like a huge thing. And I remember I remember the first year that I remember I vaguely remember the first year anime NYC started. I remember going to um, the Big Apple Anime Festival before the Republican convention actually took that time slot and kicked them out of the mm-hmm. Times Square Marriott. How different is running this kind of thing since it's all year round from running something like Anime NYC, which involves tons of international guests and like lots of screenings, lots of panels, I've been a panelist at a, a staff of just like everybody from people who have done this before to the kid who is really lucky just to be a staffer and feels really lucky to be a staffer. Mm-hmm. How is it different running the two things? It's a great question. Um, it, it's a great question. Uh, and, and I think it's both easier and harder doing what I'm doing now. So I think with Anime NYC, it is one big event one big moment and i am legitimately spending 12 months out of the year building for three days um so it's a whole year to plan something which does let you spread that planning out over many 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 months with japan society having a number of things we're planning concurrently it means there isn't that luxury of a full year to plan. Uh, yeah. So I am right now planning our March screenings. We are planning the April film series. We're planning Japan cuts. We're planning other things farther, farther out. Um, so how far in advance? How far planning... in advance do you typically do you typically plan a screening? Just out of curiosity, because I know uh... I know from just watching you answer questions here, and also seeing the announcements go up that you you necessarily ha- probably have to be very careful about when you announce things and when you know for sure something's going to go out or don't know yet. Totally, yeah. And again, I'm going to default to every screening is unique. So we do have, for example, I would say we have monthly events right now as far out as as June put together. So we've got a calendar up to June and then July is when we get to Japan cuts. So there's a lot of our work for the first half of the year is done. That being said, there are then 
those irregularities, those uh, special cases where we um, we have a thing we want to do, but it is going to take us 30 days to attempt to figure out if we can do it. So I I would like us to be working on average three to four to five months ahead um, just to, to make sure we are announcing well in advance, doing all that stuff in, in a sensible manner. Um, but again, some things happen very last minute. Some things are, are planned months and months out. Um, you had another question, didn't you? Oh, oh, the other part was then, um, so it is more difficult in that I have less time and that I am juggling more different deadlines for all of the different types of events we're doing. That being said, I will say I now oversee a 260-seat theater, um, and <laughs> we are doing one event at any given time. And the amount of, of gray hairs I, I will get from that are far fewer than the the circus that is anime NYC. The, the um, circus that is, I'm sure... I'm sure you yeah, are that, that decades is, older having dealt with the Javits Center at all. Uh, I wear a, a, a baseball cap now because of all the gray hair and, and, and thinning <laughs> hair that occurred during my time in Anime NYC. Again, I love it. Um, but yeah, no, that is a year to plan a circus. But when that circus comes to town, it is 50,000 of my closest friends all coming to that party. And it is 15 things going on at any given time. So it, it is the fraught nature of all of that happening simultaneously. So Japan society, different and more difficult in that there are more things year round. However, none of those things, even Japan cuts, are that same severity of, of 50,000 people trying to come to the Javits Center. Oh, yeah, I, I bet. Now... <laughs> This is going to be an odd question, and feel free to take the fifth because it's going to be a very odd and potentially controversial question. But are there licensors who would not work with you to show things for, say, an anime convention, but who will work with you and will show things for Japan Society because the different kind of more internationally renowned thing? Because all of a sudden you're calling from a phone number that has a little bit more weight seemingly that's a great mind. question um yeah i so i don't know like what i will say with with anime nyc i could do pretty much anything um in the anime space and i think it was more difficult when i was calling as anime nyc trying to do anything that was not anime i i think it was yeah. actually trying to show, hey, I'm a cartoon convention, but here's where I want to do this, this thing. Um, trust me, they'll show up for this. They already are. Yeah. So Japan Society, we, we do have those relationships with live action distributors. So, so yeah. those exist. I, I'm i actually talking to all of my friends in the anime world now just to see what can we do um, as I'm now in a place that is very different from what they're typically used to. Um, yeah. But I would like to try to present you know anything we can that is appropriate for japan society i think the the one thing that i've never been able to crack um are organizations like a like a netflix or an amazon or a hulu to try to work with them 
Netflix especially is investing very, very, very heavily in Japanese content um, and would love to see whatever we could create to help premiere, preview, um, anything that they're doing. So so Netflix, um, please give me a call. <laughs> now, this is something that I just I just wondered about Anime NYC. Anime NYC has always been heavily branded alongside Crunchyroll. And Crunchyroll went from being and not I always talk about this, but I'm sure I scream into the void a little bit. Crunchyroll went from being a pirate site that collated people's fan subs to being Crunchyroll. And now they're so big. What was it like working with them as like the backing behind the convention, basically, at the end? And has any of that like yeah, so I way think... fallen away since you've like jumped ship to yes, a bigger deal, more year-round position, but a position that is not can't throw its weight around because it's not necessarily the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. So I, I think a, a few different things. Like one, like Crunchyroll definitely did have you know its unique origin story, and they. In their evolution, they changed the industry multiple times. Um, way, 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 way back um, before MNYC, I did all the content for New York Comic Con. Um, and back then, when Crunchyroll was still focused a- as a unofficial site, we we couldn't work with them. Like there, there was no oh, way. Yeah, I would imagine. Like as, as soon as as soon as you picked up the phone, you would have lost like five presenters because they would have pulled out because so, they're like they're not paying licensing fees we're not talking to you yeah so so yeah so we we didn't have a relationship with them in their initial phase however that being said Crunchyroll was very keen to want to go legitimate and and did and you look at what they've done after Proving the model after after seeking the rights, they have reshaped the industry. Um, they reshaped it by defining streaming, and now they've reshaped it as being the you know the most prevalent streaming platform around the globe for anime. Um, and a lot of very good friends there. Uh, when we launched Anime NYC, they were the very first people we spoke to. They are still after five years every single year they have been the title sponsor of it um as we were we spoke to them before anyone else they believed in us very heavily and to this day very close very strong partners um so so yeah like it's they are continuing to do new and innovative things and ideally we can figure some stuff out with them at japan society too yeah, because I, I I know that they they announced actually probably while you were still at NYC they announced that they were just going to start bringing movies whole cloth to Crunchyroll for many 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 years basically not until recently anime movies was not the thing that they did at Crunchyroll because probably they just mm-hmm. couldn't work out the licensing properly for continuously streaming because that's not the way licensing works for film versus tv what is like would be your perfect partnership with say a streaming a streaming company 
and Japan society for showing any kind of content, film, television, otherwise. Because I've lost touch with live action J dramas mm-hmm. since I was in college, where I was a little bit more aware of them. But mm-hmm. that seems like a great font of entertainment that's very representative of Japan, especially currently, that isn't oh, really uh, represented uh, yeah. anywhere. It is not. And I feel, I think, two ways. Like One, I think anyone in the streaming space that is presenting live-action Japanese content, I think Japan Society would love to talk to them about how we can help present anything live in New York. I think the other piece, too, um, I have a 260-seat theater that, that fills up all the time. And to your point, there's a lot of Japanese media that does not have much access in the U.S. So... I think one thing that we would love to explore more, are there any partnerships that we can work on with streaming sites to provide more access to the kind of content we present here? Uh, Again, I I love being in New York. I love presenting what we present, but I also know that there is a appetite far beyond the audience we reach that would love to see this. Um, so who knows, but I think that that is a new frontier and something that ideally we'll, we'll be, uh, dabbling in a bit more. So, um, this is where I'm going to leave it with you. Thank you so much for, um, coming on the show and answering all my questions, even the ones that were not super planned. Um, I, if, if you ever want to come back, you are fully welcome uh, where can people find Japan Society? Where can people find you and portion social links, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we are at japansociety.org. Um, my name is, is Peter Tatara. I think I'm just Peter Tatara at Twitter. I'm pretty sure that's me. Um, but uh, I'm too old for an Instagram account, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, japansociety.org. Um, we've got our current film calendar all up on that. Um, we also have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd for Japan Society Film. Um, so follow those as well. Uh, what else? Where else am I? I don't know. Uh, I guess the other thing you had mentioned, you're a member. Uh, yeah. if, uh, if you're not a member and you want to become a member, you should. One of the best perks um, is tickets for our monthly screenings are $5. That is the best deal in in movie theaters in new york city that, that re- um, really I, i'm like i'm just joining this because i want to go to five dollar movies once a month that, at least. that's you, you do the math it pays for itself not not that uh not that far in the future but but yeah so like it, it's it's a i've been thrilled to be here for a month very excited by uh what what we have in store in the future um and can't wait to start uh, debuting more of that soon Great. And so I'm going to do a canned outro so you don't have to sit through that. But um, thank thank you so much for coming on. Once again, if you ever want to come back on, if you ever want to use this show as a show for promotion for something, say you fulfill my dreams and you're like, we're showing ocean waves on the big screen and we need to put butts in seats. Let's talk about this weird made for TV Mumble I remember seeing that IFC Center and being very confused. <laughs> I just remember thinking that that thing, I'm like, oh, they made a Mumblecore movie about nothing for TV. 
This is it's, great. It's, it's nuanced. It's nuanced. Um, it's, it's, but I remember like bringing that blood. up at the end of after the whisper of the heart screening, and you and the other person we were talking to was like, "That is, that is really low key." Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you ever want to promote anything, feel free to hit me up. Um, you have my email. Um, but mm -hmm. once again, thanks for coming on. It was great to talk to you. Now I'm going to mm -hmm. absolutely cool, cool, and hopefully I will see you at our Shinkai night. Oh yes, I will.
Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review in the podcast app of your choice if you like the show. And follow the show on Instagram at lunchboxradio underscore podcast. I'm Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Talk at you on Thursday.